For those that are remaining in the auditorium and watching online, please head on over to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 10, verses 5 through 21. Romans 10, verses 5 through 21, looking to finish off Romans 10 together this morning. As we have been studying and noticing, Paul has written this letter to Christians in Rome, a majority of whom probably are Gentile based on the history of the time, but there is a minority there that are Jewish. And since Paul is Jewish, he understands how they think and respond, and so he is writing this letter uh, to all the Christians in Rome, but trying to remind them from the very beginning of this letter that the righteousness of God only comes through faith, that we have an issue. The issue is that we are sinners. We are not doing what we were created to do. We are not behaving the way we should. We are not believing the way we should. We are not acting and having the attitude that we should. The problem with the world is us, and the only solution is Jesus Christ the righteous. We cannot gain or earn this righteousness on our own. And so he starts by explaining and reminding those in Rome just how sinful they are, then moves into somewhat of their history and the history both of sin and attempted self-righteousness, moving then into the righteousness of God provided for us through Christ and all of the promises or certainly some of the promises that that offers to us, and it, it resolves seemingly with this crescendo at the end of chapter 8, with the amazing realities of the love of God through Christ by the Spirit, which leads us then to chapters 9, 10, and 11, where Paul takes up the question then, if all of these promises are true, if God made all of these promises to his people Israel, why is it that as we look around the auditorium on this Sunday, as Paul, your letter is being read to us, we do not see very many Jews. Why is it that so many who had all of the benefits of relationship with you or certainly of the patriarchs and the promises and the covenants and the glory and the worship and the temple and the law and all of these things are not in relationship with you currently? And as we looked at last Sunday, we could ask the same question among ourselves this morning. As we look around this morning, are there individuals that used to be here, that grew up here, that heard the word of truth, saw the word of truth modeled, or shared words of truth by their fathers and mothers, teachers, coaches, mentors, pastors, who had the benefits of Sunday school and church services and Christian schooling and all of these things and yet currently have abandoned the faith and have not just gone quietly but have taken to whatever means they have to mock Christianity as scoffers as we looked at this morning in our call of confession. Why is that? And as we saw last Sunday, the reality is, is because of a lack of faith. It is not of a lack of knowledge, but a lack of faith. And Paul's going to then expand on that this morning. It's a very similar sermon in some ways, but as the title for last week's sermon was Faith, so the title of this week's sermon is Believe. The demarcation point then of all humanity 
is not the many different ways that our society tries to divide us and put us into tribes and groups. There are only two groups of humans. Those that through humility believe and have faith and trust in God alone and those that in pride and rebellion do not. Those that believe and those that don't. It is not a matter then of a lack of knowledge or a lack of understanding. I didn't have all the information. It is, we all have the same information and we have two choices. We believe it, trust in it, or we do not. And so let us turn our attention then to the text, Romans, sorry, chapter 10, starting to read at verse 5. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they here without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have, for their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation with a foolish nation. I will make you angry that Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. This is the word of God. And so again, we come down to the crux of the matter, and the reality is that it is a matter of do we believe the truth or do we not? It is not necessarily that we do not have it or do not understand it, but at the end of the day, do we actually Believe it. And so our first point this morning is that belief is necessary. Again, almost identical to last week where faith is vital, but here we have this morning belief is necessary, verses 5 through 13. The key, again, dividing line of humanity is those that believe in God, believe that He is true, that He is real, and what He has said is true and real, and those that do not. 
And so to his particular audience then in Rome, in particular the Jews in Rome, Paul then reiterates to them what he has already proven throughout this letter thus far, that our good works cannot save us. Our good works cannot save us in verse 5. So he has just talked about this in verses 1 through 4 of the Jews that are attempting to establish their own righteousness. And so he says, Moses writes about this, Leviticus 18, 5, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. Now, in its original context, Moses is not saying, obey all these commandments and you will attain righteousness. In its original context, Moses is saying, because you have relationship with God, because he has brought you up out of Egypt, because he loves you and has put his name on you, therefore, believe in that and entrusting in that, live in this way. But Paul then says, and he quotes this verse numerous times throughout his writings, the Jews had taken that verse, had taken that statement to, to mean, if you follow all the laws, if you obey all the laws, you will be righteous. As if righteousness is possible to an unrighteous human. As if an unholy human can obey God well enough, perfectly in fact, in order to then gain and attain righteousness. That is not what the law was intended to do. That was not what Moses was saying there. It's not whatever, ever what God meant when he gave the law. And yet the nation of Israel had taken that to mean challenge accepted. Give me all the rules and I'll keep them and I'll do it perfectly which is at its base a ridiculous idea, a ridiculous concept that anyone could perfectly obey God, could be perfectly righteous on their own. And that was part of the point of the law. It's so overwhelming. How could anybody look at it and say, sure, I can do that. The point of it, or one of the points was to reveal to us that we can't. And yet Paul says, if you want to try, then you must live and die by your attempt. Cross-reference, if you would, just one verse earlier, where in verse 4 he says, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Jesus Christ is the goal of the law. He is the purpose of the law in a sense. He's the fulfillment of the law. So either you stand before God in your own righteousness or you stand before God in the righteousness of Christ. Either Christ's perfection has become yours because of repentance and faith and belief, or you are going to establish your own righteousness and you're going to fall very far short. But there's good news. Our good works can't save us, but Jesus has done all the work for us in the second place. Those verses 6 through 8. Now again, Paul quotes a different passage of Scripture. Moses in Deuteronomy 30 is talking to the nation of Israel for the second time. It's where we get the name of the book, uh, Deuteros in the Greek, which is second, namos, which is law, so second giving of the law. Moses is talking to the nation of Israel before they go into the land of Canaan and reiterating for them the law, reminding them of the promises of God. And the point that he's making in chapter 30 of the book of Deuteronomy is God has not left this in the dark. We don't have to grope around and say, I don't know what God requires of us. I don't know what God has said. What has God said? Is he, is he, is he real? Has he revealed himself to us? And all this seems so difficult. 
And in the original context, then the point is, do we have to try to go up to heaven to bring God down? Or do we have to go across the sea or into the abyss to try to bring God from over there? Moses' point is, God's word is very near you. In fact, this God has come down and visited you while you were slaves in Egypt with 10 incredible plagues, brought you up out of the land of Egypt, turned a sea into a highway as we just sung about, brought you into the wilderness, provided for you food and water, and your sandals did not wear out for over 40 years, all of these things and so much more. He appeared to you on the mountain. Moses actually went up and was, uh, was there communing with God. He actually anthropomorphically used his own finger to write the Ten Commandments Moses is saying, you have no excuse as it relates to what does God expect and who he is. He's done all the heavy lifting. He's come to you. And so Paul then takes that and says, and it's the same thing then with the gospel. Do we have to go up into heaven to get Jesus? No, he's already come down. Do we have to go down into the grave and bring Jesus back from the dead? No, he's already done that too. He's already resurrected back to life from the dead. Christ has done all of the work. One of his names is Emmanuel, which means God with us. We don't have to sort of kind of figure it out on our own. Jesus has come. He has explained to us and revealed to us who God is. John 1, he says, nobody has seen God any time, but Jesus Christ has revealed him. John 14, Philip says, uh, Jesus, show us the Father. And Jesus says, Philip, how long have I been with you? And how can you ask, show us the Father? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you want to know who God is, it's Jesus, and he has come. He's done all the work. Therefore, all that is left for us to do is to believe, verses 9 through 13. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Verse 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It is not a matter of a lack of information. It is not a matter of, well, God is so big and he's so far away and he's so unattainable and he, he's so otherworldly and I don't understand. No, he's, he's come and he's done all of the work. He's given us all that we need to know who he is and who we are. He's, he's done all the work to bring us into relationship with him. An article that I shared a couple weeks back in line with those that would call themselves ex-evangelicals. The author was saying that their story is not very impressive. Because here's an individual who was an atheist and then an anti-theist and is now a Christian. He, he, he did the research, he put in the time, and has come to understand that Christianity is true. And yet those that were surrounded by Christianity, had all the access to Christianity, have abandoned it, not because it's not true, because they don't believe, because they don't have faith. And so they mock it, and they scoff at it, they deride it, but it's not because it's not true, and it's not because God has not done all the work on their behalf, and it's not because God is not gracious and merciful. It's because they want to establish their own way. They want to establish their own righteousness. And so it is on us then to believe. With the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. That is the reality. It's not a matter of Christianity is a sham and 
it's, it's made up and all of the many things that have been lobbed at Christianity throughout its history and it seems like every generation has to reprove the same things and go back over the same ground because individuals don't know their history or don't care. If you do the work, it's very easy to see that Christianity is true. Jesus, what he said is true, who he is is true. And so the question is not, is this true? The question is, do I believe this is true? That's the question. Now, in the second place then this morning, Paul says the belief does require proclamation. He is saying we do need to declare the truth, verses 14 and 15. How then can somebody call on him whom they have not believed? How can they believe if they haven't heard about him? How are they going to hear unless somebody tells them? And how will somebody go tell them unless they be sent? And in quoting Isaiah, one of the passages we read just this morning, actually in our Bible reading plan, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. That even in 2021, there are individuals who have not heard of Jesus in their own language. And thank God for those that we support and, 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 and that are there that are attempting to bring the gospel to everyone. And so the reality is we do need to preach. We do need to remind people and, and reveal to people the truth of God's word and of Jesus Christ. The challenge before all of us is our friends, our family members, our neighbors, our fellow students, our co-workers, those in our sphere of influence, have they heard the glorious good news that although we are great sinners, there is a great Savior, Jesus Christ, the righteous? Has this been preached to them? Have they heard? And so it is on us to proclaim, and yet in the third place we see this morning that belief is not automatic, verses 16 through 21. As Paul has been clear with us in the portion that was before us last week, so he is clear again this morning, hearing and believing are two separate things. And I would challenge this morning myself and all the dads in the audience and listening online in particular, it is one thing to hear the truth. It is another thing to speak the truth to your children and grandchildren and those around you. It is, however, another thing entirely to believe the truth that you are presenting. And believe me, your children and grandchildren know the difference. You need the same gospel that you want your children to believe. And far too often as fathers, we are far too hesitant to admit when we are wrong, to ask for forgiveness, to display our need for the gospel, even as we call others to believe it. And so all of us, but perhaps dads in particular, myself included, do we believe or are we just content with speaking and hearing? And so hearing and believing are different, verses 16 and 17. What does Paul immediately say? but they have not all obeyed the gospel. Paul wanted everyone to hear. In fact, at the beginning of the letter, he says to them, I want to come and visit you in Rome. I've never been, but when I get there, I'm not going to stay very long. You already have heard the gospel. I want to have your help to get farther west to Spain to preach the gospel to them. They haven't heard. And so Paul wanted everybody to hear, but he says, even in the hearing, not all have obeyed. There is a difference between hearing and believing. 
He quotes Isaiah again in the chapter of the suffering servant revealing the Messiah for who he truly will be, Isaiah 53, Lord, who has believed what he's heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ, but faith and hearing are two different things. And so Paul wants to remind us of that then here. When we look around and say, look, this person was my childhood friend. They heard the same thing that I heard. This individual grew up in my home with me. They were one of my siblings. They heard the same thing that I did. They saw the same things that I saw for good and for ill. And yet they don't believe and I do. What is the difference? The difference is faith. It is belief. It is trusting the truth. And so hearing it and even seeing it are not the same as believing it. And so then Paul asks two questions before he wraps up. First question he asks is, have all heard? And so we see in the second place then under this third point, all can hear, verse 18. But I ask, have they not heard? And Paul quotes Psalm 19, their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. Paul would contend that although maybe not all have heard the gospel articulated specifically, and he would know that he wants to go to Spain where they have not heard it yet, he does believe there is a sense in which everyone has heard of God through what God has made. That is the point of the psalmist in Psalm 19. Regardless of what language you speak around the globe, the message of who God is or that there is a God is global and universal. Everyone can see from what has been made that there is a maker. Everyone can see from creation that there is a creator. And I'm so thankful for even some of the, the recent work as we see the design reality even in science. It is right in front of our face that this is all designed that this must have come from a mind, that this could not have been the result of random chance, spontaneous generation and natural selection. It must have been created. It must have been designed. It's right there in front of us. So again, the issue is not whether or not we have the information. The issue is, are we going to believe? We know the truth. Do we believe the truth? We know who we are, or we should, we know who, how little we are, how sinful we are. We know that we're not what we should be. And we can know by what has been made that there is one to whom we are accountable. These things we know. These things are true. The issue is not then do we know them. The issue is do we believe. All can understand. Paul then asks a follow-up question. Well, maybe they knew, but maybe they didn't get it. Did Israel understand? Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Moses was clear that because you do not believe, there will be some who do that are not part of your nation. I'm not exclusively your God. As Paul has said previously, there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. He had said that earlier on in the letter, as far as it relates to sinners, all are sinners, both Jew and Greek. Now he says all can be saved, both Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all. The Jews, the Jewish nation, attempted to keep God for themselves. We'll hoard God's love. It's just for us. Paul says, no, that's not the case. And you should have known that going all the way back to your first leader, Moses, because he said, if you disobey, when you disobey, there will be others who will obey. He has said previously in chapter 9 at the end, those that were not looking for righteousness attained it by faith. Those that were looking for it and working really, really hard for it didn't get it. 
And Israel should have already seen that. Then he goes on to say, even more than Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. Relationship with God is open to all who repent and believe, is open to all who trust in God alone. And it does not matter your nationality, your gender, uh, your linguistic, your ethnicity, any of these things. The gospel is open to all who believe. Israel should have understood that. God wasn't just theirs. He wasn't a local deity. And he wasn't theirs regardless of how they responded, whether in faith or not. They should have understood who God was and is. They did understand, but they did not believe. Lastly then, as we saw in verses 9 through 13, we wrap up with this in verse 21. We must believe. What does he say of Israel? All day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. There are those today who say that the God of the Old Testament seems a little cranky. And as you read the Old Testament, that God seems a little bit upset. He kind of sits up in the clouds with a hammer and delights in smiting. And yet Jesus, Jesus is kind of cool. I could see having coffee with Jesus. Jesus is, he's all about love and sandals and, and hippie things. And so I could, I could get into Jesus, but the God of the Old Testament seems a little bit um, dark for me, which just goes to show that those individuals have not actually read the Bible and have not actually understood it. There is, other than God's holiness, a singular impression of God by those who know him best. And by the way, Jesus is the same God as the God of the Old Testament. He's God, and God didn't change from one testament to the next. However, there is a singular impression of individuals who knew God the best. Other than his holiness, which is a thing that those who knew him best highlight, a second thing, a very close second, that everyone who knows him best highlights is his long-suffering. You cannot read the Old Testament without coming across that word repeatedly by those who actually know God. How patient God is. How kind he is. How gracious he is. How merciful he is. How often did the prophets of God know that? Some of them got bothered by it. Elijah, Jonah, when God shows grace and mercy and long-suffering to those that they don't think deserve it, which of course is never them, they get a little upset by God's long-suffering. Read the Psalms. How often do the psalmists say, your steadfast love endures forever? How patient God is. How long-suffering he is merciful and gracious he is. All day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. The issue is not with God. The issue is never with God. The issue is with us. So those that reject God have a false view of him, a false view of his church, a false view of a lot of things, but they cannot say that they do not know the truth. They know the truth, but they are not willing to believe it, to trust it, to accept it, and to submit to it. And God is patient. You note the prodigal God, as Keller has said in Luke's Gospel, what Jesus tells what we have come to call the prodigal son. Neither son wanted a relationship with the father. 
Now, whether the one son rejected the father through self-righteousness or whether the other son rejected the father through sinfulness, both did not want relationship with the father. And yet, what is the posture of the father? His hands are open. His arms are open wide. And to the one son, he runs. God is merciful and kind and gracious. He has given us all we need. He has done all the heavy lifting. The greatest issue that we have is our sinfulness, and God has taken care of that. He has conquered sin and its result, death. He has done everything for us, and all that is left to us is to believe, to repent and have faith. And so Paul puts that out to us in 2021 as he put it to his original audience in AD 57. Will you believe? And so let us look to the Lord in prayer this morning. Father, again, we are thankful for your word and you have given it to us. It is so simple. And yet, Father, there is that which is profound in its simplicity. The gospel can be understood by a young child. And yet, scholars can attempt to plumb the depths of this good news and find there is always more to discover. And yet, Father, the reality is then not a lack of knowledge, but of belief. And so I pray for everyone that is here this morning and watching online. I first pray for those who do not believe, those that are rejecting this message of love and of truth. They have their reasons. But Father, it is not because they do not know, by and large. It is because they will not submit, they will not trust, they will not repent and believe. And my prayer for them is that they would believe, that Father, you would reveal yourself to them as you are so awesome, marvelous, gracious, good, and kind, holy, righteous, perfect. They would see you for who you really are. And all of their excuses, all of their self-righteousness, all of their doubts would melt away in the glory and light of your presence. Father, all of us, have family members, friends, neighbors, coworkers, fellow students who are not worshiping you, who do not believe in you. Father, help us to pray, help us to love, help us to proclaim. May we be found faithful. Father, for those that do believe, both here this morning and watching online, I pray that, that would be evident in our lives. We say that we believe these truths, we believe that we are sinners, and yet far too often we carry ourselves as though we are not. We say that we believe that you are the only way, truth, and life, and yet by times we act as if that is us and not you. Father, we say that you are trustworthy, and yet there are times when we are filled with worry and anxiety. Father, we say that you heal, and yet, Father, far too often we are hanging on to things that you have already taken. Father, we say that we believe you have forgiven us. 
and yet we put ourselves in a position higher than you and say that we cannot forgive ourselves. Father, we say that we believe you are all-powerful, and yet we acted this week as though you couldn't handle that thing. Father, we say that we need the good news that we are great sinners, but there is a great Savior, Jesus Christ, the righteous, and yet we struggle to ask for forgiveness, even as we have been so miraculously and amazingly forgiven. Father, I pray specifically this morning for the dads on this Father's Day. Father, we struggle oftentimes to admit when we're wrong. Father, save us from that. Help us to understand that we need the same gospel we are sharing with our children and grandchildren and those around us. May we be quick to repent. May we be quick to ask for forgiveness. May we show our children and grandchildren and those in our sphere of influence that we are in desperate need of the same gospel that we say they are. Father, may we trust you in all things. We know these things to be true. Help us to believe them. Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.